Hello, welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today we have uh, a returning guest. We don't often have returning guests, just a couple, and this is definitely one of the few. And he did mention that he was a little bit surprised that he got asked to come back, but that's a good thing, I hope. It's uh, Killian Schulte, is that right? Yes, yes. Hi. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So last time we brought you on for Jasper, right? Now we're bringing you on for Dart Mappable. Oh, yeah. Happy to happy to be back. Um, yeah, last time was, was about Jasper, like the web framework I'm building in Dart. Now it's uh, about Dart Mappable, I think, today. So another package of mine. Um, actually, the, the first package I made, like the first uh, Dart package I, I published to, to Pub.dev, I think, two years ago. Um, yeah, and it's all about uh, data classes and JSON serialization. It kind of an alternative to, to some other packages that there are, like um, if you've worked with JSON and Flutter, you've probably heard about or even used JSON serializable, which is like the go-to package there is. Um, it's even maintained, I think, by the Dart team or somehow related to that. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of a, yeah, not really a competition, but um, it's in the same area. What Dart Mappable really focuses on is to be really powerful, have a lot of options, and really support all different kinds of use cases and uh, classes and models that you want to throw at it. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before the show. Uh, I think, I guess, at least to me, I find that if you relate this related topic to somebody, it becomes easier to kind of comprehend. And I guess the best way to say it is, you know, how, how would you relate this to other packages in the ecosystem that are kind of similar? Yeah. Um, so as I said, the, the, like the easiest one is to compare to JSON serializable, which is a pretty uh, simple yet very well made, I think, package for, for JSON serialization. So like you have your, your Dart classes that are your models to like represent some kind of data. And you want to serialize that and transform it into JSON to maybe send to an API or the other way around, like you get some JSON data from an API and you want to transform that back to your uh, data classes. And you don't want to do that manually because like it's a hassle and like maintaining that and it's a lot of code and so on. Uh, so the the package and like both packages mine and just serializable use uh, code generation for that um to like generate all the code in in behind the, the dot uh, data classes that like make it possible to to transform from it to json um yeah and the main difference is so json serializable is quite i don't want to say basic but it's at some point limited on what your data class can look like so um, it's fine if you just have like a class with a few fields that have like, I don't know, it's, it's a few strings and leans or numbers or whatever. Um, but it gets, gets more and more complicated if you want to do some fancy stuff. I mean, classes can look all different ways. Like you can have some inheritance. You can extend some other classes and, and inherit from them. And you can have, uh, so one, big topic for dot metal it was always uh, generics so you can have generic classes and you maybe want to serialize them to and from json uh, and this is really the point where like json serializable at some point stops working or like you can't do certain stuff with it um 
And this is where uh, pretty much Dark Anvil comes in. And, and I always like promote it or like when I talk to people about it, um, it's like as long as you have these simple models, that's fine. But like at some point, probably in your like when you build a larger app, you have some more complex models and you still want to deal with them. Um, so at that point, Dark Anvil comes in and uh, helps you. It can help you to to do all that kind of stuff. And it's way more, that's why I say powerful, because like it supports all these different kinds of um, yeah things that, that you can do. Um, yeah, so that's that's the angle on the serialization part. Uh, but it's not just serialization, it's also data classes, um, which is kind of related. So data classes usually mean you have the same model classes um, and you want to maybe compare them use equal on them, use two string on them, um, stuff like that. So you also have to generate in that case, all the overrides for like the, the equal operator for the hash code and for the two string. Um, and that's also included in dot mappable. So for example, JSON serializable doesn't do that. There are other packages, um, like I think the, the, one of the most popular is freeze to do that. Um, that can generate those for you. Uh, with Dartmevel, it's like one package that does everything pretty much. I kind of want to go back on the complicated class, right? What would be a really good example of a complicated class that, say, JSON serializable cannot handle, but you can handle with ease? Yeah, so like the, the, the most um, straightforward thing is like a class with a generic parameter, like some some class A of T, right? And then like T is your generic parameter. And um, there is, so it wouldn't be fair to say that JSON serializable can't do that principally. It can do that, but like it requires a lot more like manual decoding stuff um, and, and encoding stuff like to do in your code. Um, with that maybe you'd say, okay, I have some JSON and I want to decode it to my class so-and-so of whatever generic parameter we want to put it in, and it will figure everything out itself and um, do that for you. Like, And then the, the generic parameter can even, like, so it can be another class that you can that you want to decode. It can um, be pretty much anything. You can have multiple generic parameters, um, like, yeah, and all that stuff, um, including, like, then you deal with, like, lists, maybe. So, like, you have a list T, um, and then T is whatever item you have in it and uh, can figure that out. Yeah, I also saw interesting is it seems like you have a lot of, I don't know, does does Freeze have something like a from map? Because I don't remember that actually being there. So Freeze, when you use Freeze, you get the data class part, but you can then on top of Freeze also use JSON serializable because like those two packages are like at least Freeze is like made to work very well with JSON serializable. So if you use both of those packages, uh, you, get, you get like the whole package. Um, and yeah, so then, then you have both the serialization and the data class part. Um, the, I don't know if, if you meant with like from map that one, currently one of the key differences between, uh, from an API perspective from between just serializable and, and my package is that the method names from for like encoding and decoding are different, and um, there's quite like a discussion behind that actually. Um, so the 
so it goes about so how to name like the the, fun, the the method that transforms your data class into first a a map right you have then the map of string and on some values and then that map you can uh, give into like the actual json uh, encoder from like dart convert uh, and that then outputs a string so what i did in that mapable you have actually have like two sets of functions that can decode and encode your uh, models you have one like the two map which transforms your model into a map and then you have your to JSON that's directly transforming to actually like JSON and outputs a string. So the signature is here like to JSON outputs a string. Um, the other, how it's done in the other packages is that to JSON is the one function that outputs a map and then you have to encode it manually. Um, that led to some difficulties. Um, some people liked that very much how I did it. Some people didn't like that very much or like uh, I have feedback from from both sides. Um, it's still not clear, like if I want to change that maybe in in some next big breaking version. Um, because there's this other thing that um, when you have the the two JSON that outputs a map, um, there it's like better integrated in like the core uh, JSON encoding part from like the core SDK. Um, so yeah, that's like, I don't know if I want to get into that discussion because it's less like mostly, I think, preference of like what you want your methods to be named. Well, what's also interesting too is I did see that you support renaming the functions. Yeah, I added that. Um, it's like, currently it's like a hidden feature. It's not really documented. You can find it if you go through like the actual GitHub issues. Um, I added that because of like feedback I got and like people were not happy with it and then um they had some so they had some use cases where they had to put in their models into other packages and those other packages expected the the other to JSON um signature. Um so yeah, I, I as like an experiment um to like how people would react to it and, and use it, I, I opened that up to make it configurable, but um yeah, it's still like it's not really documented because I don't really want to advertise for it. Yeah, I, I can see how that can be confusing because mostly, in my opinion, you wouldn't be using that mapper class. But maybe uh, I guess it depends on how you think about things. But uh, to me, it's like, well, I'm dealing with this thing, not this thing's mapper. That's what I think about in my head. But I can understand the other way around too. Yeah, it depends a lot on like how you want to actually use the package and and what your requirements are for like how you want to serialize and visualize stuff um so it's really yeah it's like it really depends on on what you're doing and how you want to do it i think really that the more interesting parts here are like um what it like functionally does different and, and how it compares and um, what it can do that maybe others can't so and like we talked about that already a bit so maybe like one one thing i worked a lot on for the last version was that um, you have so you have that copy with functionality that also freeze test so it is like a generator method that you can call to copy your model and just change a few fields like whatever fields you want um, and then it creates a new new instance instead of like modifying so there's like this idea of keeping your models immutable and um, 
copying that over. And one thing that like was requested by, by a user and I found it very interesting. And uh, so I worked on it was the idea that you have in a, in a inherited class structure with like superclass and subclasses that the copy with still works when you, um, basically call it on the superclass. Like, so for example, you have the, the, the class animal and then you have two extending classes, cat and dog and some, like the animal could have like name that like every subclass has that then too. Um, but then, then the cat and dog has some specific additional properties. Um, you can then of course call the copy with directly or like on an instance of dog or in, on an instance of cat and like copy select the fields. But you can by now actually also call it if you just have like a variable of type animal and don't know if it's cat or dog, you can still call copy with on it and just like then the signature for the copy with function is just you can change the fields like the, the name I said, I think like the fields of the, of the animal class and uh, it will still work fine that like if you, if it would actually, if you put in a dog, it would come out as a dog with like that name change, uh, name field change. And if you put in a cat, it would still out, uh, still come out as a cat. So, um, that's, that's one of the features. I don't know, like when I started this, uh, I looked into it. I think Freeze didn't have it by now. I'm not sure. Um, because I saw they, they recently also did a lot of work on their copy with manipulation. So I'm, I'm really not sure if they have it, but, um, so just as an example, like these are things that like I try to work on to make a lot more stuff possible that maybe other, other packages don't support and just whatever scenario you find yourself in, like in, in what way your, your data class are modeled, um, that method will, will at that point pretty much support it all. That's really like the a big promise almost. Well, I mean, it seems like it has like the package that Dart Maple has like everything under the hood. Mm -hmm. I also saw that you have like hooks mm -hmm. and the hooks are mostly about around decoding, right? Yeah. Hooks are, hooks are actually like from the very kind of the very first version. Um, so hooks are a way, a mechanism to, to hook into the decoding or encoding process of, of a class. Like to, to, when you transform a class to, to like a map of values, uh, you can actually hook into that either before transforming, uh, the class or after. Um, and so that gives you a whole another layer of like flexibility in what you can do. And that was also like when I first, when I first did the package, it was just out of, so first out of curiosity, but also like out of personal lead. Like for me, the, the JSON serializable just wasn't. Uh, it didn't have the features I, I needed to have for, for what I was building. So I, I, I made that package. Um, and so hooks were one of the first features that I did because like I noticed, okay, there are so many different custom, maybe custom logic you want to have in your, your iconal logic. And I'm, I think I give an example later, but like there's so many cases. So like it's really hard and I, I don't want to try to like, um, from, from the package perspective, have like separate, um, very specific features for all different kinds of, of use cases. I just do the, the hooks and then you can pretty, like the user can pretty much do whatever he or she wants, um, with while the, the class encoding. So that's like a really powerful mechanism, mechanism, I think, 
it's open, opens up a lot of uh, possibilities yeah yeah i was thinking like you said like maybe you had some custom logic where you want to set a field based on certain data like that that's basically what you're looking for right yeah exactly so one one big use case i have for that currently in in uh, an app that i'm building is backwards compatibility so we have an app that has to potentially talk to different versions of backend apis because the app is like deployed through uh, across different customer systems and those customer systems have different api versions so i want in the app i want to have one data model that has like the just a normal dart class with a set of fields but the json that comes in and that i need to transform to that data model potentially looks different has like a different set of fields or like um just yeah it's, it's also like has has a, a legacy version and a new version so there i use those hooks to like detect okay the json that's just coming in that i that i plan to transform into my model is it the the legacy version then i pre uh, pre-modify the json while it's still json uh so that it's then um and like decodable by by the package um so that's that's one big use case so um and there are others like that so okay that's that's interesting i mean it would be nice if you can pass in some maybe some extra data i i, I guess it depends on how you do your api because i can imagine like maybe when you return a response maybe in in the head you might say what version of the api you're running that could also make it easier for doing what you want to do but that i guess you would just do the outside of the package rather than inside yeah exactly like you you could do that you could build something like that with with hooks um but yeah, that's then outside of the package and also like designed to be outside of the package because um, it's just a very specific maybe case you have. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I could also see like if you wanted to diagnose maybe why something's not parsing, so then you would just console log or something in between. You could also use it to, to, to log something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 interesting. Um, I mean, let me see what else because there's this so many things you you have here. Yes, like yeah. By now, it's really a lot. Like uh, it, it really evolved. Like it's right now, it's at version three, and um, it really evolved a lot. Because also, like I, I put a lot of effort into have really all that, like to to really be able to say, okay, that will supports pretty much almost all ways you can build data models. Um, there are really, really few cases that like won't work. Um, and yeah, that just meant that like over time it re- became this super powerful thing that like you don't have to. So what, what I always like to, to describe it, like for JSON serializable, you kind of have to know and for, for freeze even more, uh, you have to write your data classes in a very specific way, or at least you have to know how to write your data classes so they will work with uh, JSON serializable. So like you kind of depend on the, the package or the, the package, um, tells you how to do stuff. With that method, it's pretty much, you just write your data class as you want, like however you want it to be. Uh, that's your first thing and your first thought. And then afterwards, you can just add like the, the annotations from, from that metable and it would work. So you don't have to redo or like refactor your models just because you want to add the JSON package now. Well, the other thing I'm looking at over here too is that you also have a way to configure this in different ways in terms of the package, right? Like you also have this YAML file where you can even mm-hmm. specify like globally how the keys will be coming in and out. 
yeah. So you don't need to say go back and manually manually put all those different keys in, right? Yeah, yeah. You have some 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 global transformation options. For example, like you can set a case style so like that all your your field names will automatically be converted to a specific case style. If you want to have a lowercase, uppercase, or like whatever, um, that's that's really like that's that's also quite good to have it. Like then you don't have to specify it for every class. Um, you can still go in and like override that setting for a specific class if you want to, um, or even override the the field name for a specific field. So um, you have like these different layers of configuration options. So either you go global it applies to everything uh next level is like you go on the to the library and then it applies applies to every model in that library or you go to a specific model or even to a specific field of a model um and that way you can you can really specify it in the most efficient way i think um on like what what the configuration would be well you also have the ability to have custom mappers right which is basically you know, going from one field to another. You have an example over here about the URI, which I think is a great example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, it it makes so it it happens that you have like fields um, properties in your classes that are other types that you don't control. So like types that are, are defined in some other libraries, uh, and at that point you can't annotate it. And like, so I skipped over that, but like. Um, how it generally works, you have to annotate your classes to say to that method basically, hey, this is now a data model, please generate code for this. But like for classes in different packages, you of course cannot annotate them because you can't change the code. So at that point, for those uh, classes, you can create uh, like pretty much by hand custom mappers that just um, you can you can define like the encoding and, and decoding functions yourself. Um, you define it once for a specific class or type, and then uh, you can just use that class normally as like a property in your models, and it will figure stuff out. Well, let me ask you this because this is kind of sticking in my mind, right? So, I, I, because the URI one you have, right? So, URI, I mean, you can basically parse a string and you'll have a URI, and say your URI can have a protocol, can have, I don't know, username, password, um, domain. Uh, etc. Right now, um, if you go to JSON, you may not want to have all that. You basically want to do that to a, to a string, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So, how would something like that work? The UI is maybe a special case because while it has all the different properties, like you said, like the the, the yeah the, the schema and then the domain and then the path name and maybe the query and so on. When you uh, serialize it, you don't really want that all that properties as like separate properties, you just uh, serialize it as like a URI string, right? So like, that's what it's for. So the, the example um, that uses the URI is just a transform, like it takes the URI object and transform it to a string. And the other way around, when it comes in, like to decode it, it just takes a string, like and say URI.pass or something um, to, to pass it. So um, it's like maybe, special case for like you don't really want all the separate properties uh, encoded as like JSON objects but just use it as a string um, but of course like with other properties um, you can do other stuff so another example what I used so example when you use uh, the color class from Flutter um, maybe you have you have a data model that has some colors 
Um, so you can define a custom mapper for the for the color class, and then it's pretty much up to you what you want the serialized value of a color look like, because it can either be a, a hex value of a color, it could be just a normal integer, um, but it could also be maybe a color name or something if you want it to be. Um, so that's pretty much up to you what you want it to be in the end inside the JSON. I wanted to go over back to the generic part because you made very particular about about generics, right? Mm -hmm. Now generics is just difficult to handle when using like the serializable for JSON serializable, or because it doesn't seem too tricky necessarily. I mean, maybe you can shed some light on that. Yeah. So the thing is, um, with generics, there are certain limitations that just you like you 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 won't get to work, or at least like you have to find workarounds or like be very um, um, like, uh, it's, it's quite complicated. Um, so the, the one thing that, uh, is pretty much impossible is when you have a generic, so like you have a generic function, like the decode function, and you pass a generic parameter. And that parameter could either be directly just the, the class, like decode animal. Um, but it could also be something like decode animal of, um, of integer if like animal is a generic class. At that point your generic parameter is animal of integer, right? When you are inside that function now and you have that just that T as like your generic parameter, there's pretty much no way to get to um is it uh, like what kind of animal it is. You won't get the the int out of that animal uh, generic uh, construct. Um, because at that point, like, it's just one type. Um, you can just compare that type using maybe equality, or you can use a map lookup to other types, but like, you can't destructure a generic type. I hope, I hope that's kind of clear what I want to say. Um, and that's like the, the core problem that pretty much every serialization package has that like the ideal world would be you just have a decode function and you pass in whatever type you want it to be. If it's a generic type, you just pass in a generic type. That's fine. And then it would figure it out. Um, but that's kind of tricky. Now, Dartmouth will actually support that. So you can actually do that. Um, and it does some, some, quite some intricate magic, um, behind that to figure out what that type is, what different mappers it has to call for that, um, how to, to invoke those mappers. Because like, if you have a generic class, now your decoding function, uh, to instantiate that class also has to be generic, right? Like your, to instantiate your animal, it's like a generic function. So even Dart Metal as a package has to then call that function with the int as a generic parameter. So it has to uh, filter that out uh, and call it. So there's a lot um, tricky, tricky stuff going on behind it. It's actually like a separated, at, at some point I separated that out in a separate package. It called, it's called type plus, um, which has all that type generic stuff manipulation bundled into a separate package. And if you want, you can use it separately. Um, and that gives you a lot of control and a lot of possibilities on how you can deal with generic types, generic functions, and so on. Um, that's so on. That's like really the the backbone of 
all that generic stuff that Dart Model can do that other packages can't. Well, speaking of backbone, just looking at the documentation over here, specifically, you, you say that mapper container is the backbone of this whole package, no? Yeah, that's the, the, other, the other backbone then, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, the, so that's the, for the general implementation on like to figure out what mapper to call if you want to decode a type and, and, uh, what arguments to call it with and so on. Um, it's like the, the core part. Uh, it works. So on a simplified level, it works that you just have like a large map that maps types to mappers and mappers are the class that then like actually have the function to like decode and encode. Um, so you just do a, a, a large lookup in the map. Uh, when you get in a type, you look up, okay, what mapper is associated with that type and then call the functions of that mapper. Um, what that enables you to do. And so I still have to find a really good use case for that. But, um, in the end, everything is a mapper, even for like primitive type, like int or string or something, I have defined some very lightweight mappers that are also in that large map of, of all the mappers. And you could, if you want to, you could go in and replace that. So you could go in and, and write a custom mapper for a string. And then, uh, basically all string fields will go through that mapper and you can write custom logic. I, as I said, like it's, it's very specific thing that it, like, it's not, uh, designed to enable a specific use case because I really don't know a use case, but it's just like, uh, how, because of how it is implemented internally, uh, you can do that. Uh, maybe someone will find a nice use case for that, but, um, yeah, it's maybe good, good to understand how it works that you just have those mappers and they, uh, the mappers are, are responsible for, uh, one specific type. And then you have the mapper container that bundles all those mappers and figures out what mapper to call for, um, for, yeah, like a specific instance of when you do it from JSON or to JSON or whatever. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. What I also like too about your package is, um, the, how do you say that? Like you, you actually have a way to migrate from the existing packages. And I was looking at, um, one of the things which was for freest and the union type, which I really love that union type thing, but the way you're doing it seems like a little bit uh, different than what I'm understanding, right? So you have this discriminator key. So that means that there's just a random key within the data that's backing it that makes a difference of it. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So that's, that's the, for the polymorphism structure. And that's not only for freezes generally. So same example, when you have an animal and then a cat or a dog, um, at that point, it's like the, the, the key term is polymorphism, which just means that uh, you have a, a base class animal that can either be one or the other. Um, and then when, so when you have get in JSON and you say to the package, okay, decode me an instance of animal, the package has to somehow figure out, okay, am I now supposed to decode it to a dog or decode it to a cat? Um, and so that's where the discriminator key comes in. And the discriminator is just another property in the JSON that is used to really uniquely identify the specific subtype. So there would be like in your JSON would be just a, a, a property type 
which either has the value dog or has the value cat. And that's then, um, that's automatically added. Like when you encode it, it's automatically added by the package. And when you decode it, it's like used by the package to uh, look up which actual type um, it, it should be when you don't specify, when you just specify the base class. Okay, I, I see what you mean now. Okay, that's that's interesting. That makes sense and interesting. Yeah, and for freeze, that's that's typical, um, because like there you can like you you define your your union classes by, um, yeah, you have one class and then you have like these different constructors that pretty much all represent different subclasses, um, and so when you want to decode, just just say you want to decode an instance of your base class. Then again, the package has to figure out which actual uh, sub-constructor to call. Um, and yeah, that's that's again then the discriminate key. So there, there isn't really a difference to that. Um, it's just what you mentioned. So the, there is a, a small part of the package um, that just enables you to annotate these different um, constructors that Freeze uses. Because like with Freeze, you don't specify the subclasses yourself. You just specify the different constructors, right? The, the named factory constructors. Um, and I made it that you can just annotate those and it will work just as if you would have annotated uh, the subclass directly. And this way, .mapple is actually also compatible with, with Freest. Um, so if you want to use Freest because you like how you write your data classes, just like it's mostly on a syntax level, like, you, you like the syntax, you want to use the syntax of, of Freest, um, then you can also do that if you want. Yeah, I thought that was pretty nice because it's pretty easy for me to understand because I'm so used to Freest. So I guess that's definitely something you can, that's nice. But what I also thought was quite interesting is may, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, wait, no. So I was where I am wrong. Now, what I was going to say is about like you have three packages you have to have installed. Of course, Dart Mappable. But then you have two dev dependencies, right? You got the build runner, obviously, which you need in order to generate the code. And you have Dart Mappable Builder. But I actually, I forgot. I think there's also the same similar structure for uh, Freeze, at least too, right? Yeah, it's the same for Freeze. It's the same for JSON Serializable. It's the same for pretty much every code generation package. Um, because the, the dev dependency is the code that runs to like to generate your code. Uh, to, to generate whatever the package wants to output. And it's just a dev dependency because you don't want to bundle that in your application later. And the other, the normal dependency is then like every, the, the rest of the stuff that like is there to, to make the package work at runtime. Well, I, I remember talking to the creator of Freeze and he was saying that when Dart 3 comes out, we, we, won't, we won't need the builder anymore. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but is this still the case where you can start to get rid of this thing eventually at some point? Uh, I would guess he was talking about uh, static metaprogramming, which unfortunately didn't come with that tree. But like, yeah, it's on the on the horizon. Like, it's they don't really have a clear date when it's coming, but um, they will be changing stuff to to how like to code generation in Dart. Currently, it's using the build runner, um, which is like is a really separate build system it has not like it's not integrated in the compiler or anything it's just uh, some some external build tool that you have to um, depend on and use um, in the future the the dart team is working on um, integrating that into the compiler so it go it, it will get a lot more smoother it will have better developer experiences it will probably be a lot faster to 
generate that code because currently, if you have large projects, um, BuildRunner is known for really taking a long time. Um, so the the it's yeah the the experience will get a lot better, and of course, then then all all the different code generation packages um, will be upgraded to to use that new system. Um, yeah, but it's like it's probably maybe even a year or longer until that's actually uh, like stable in a Dart release. Like I, I'm. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any special info, but it's like how it feels because it was pushed uh, pushed a lot far back. Yeah, because it would be nice to kind of get rid of this builder because, like you said, there's two things. Like one is like it's an extra step that gets confusing for people who are new to Flutter. It's like, wait, I, this thing compiles, and I also have to run a builder. What 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 is that? And it's like a and the command has been. It's I think it's easier now, but like used to be even more confusing because of the way, like it's like pub. It's like Dart pub run something. There's like four or five keywords before you even run the name of the builder. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like quite quite a mouthful of a, of a command. Yeah, and it's changed a couple of times too, so it's even more confusing. Mm-hmm. That's like they made it. I guess they made it somewhat easier. Like now, it's like I think it was always like Dart pub stuff, and it was like, what is that? It was Dart pub run, and now it's just Dart run. Um, but it's still like Dart run build run a build, so like four words. I thought they also changed it with Flutter now. Like they're trying to like put the word Flutter everywhere to kind of make things easier because it's Flutter build, Flutter run, you know. Yeah, you that's what use... you can also use the Flutter keyword, right? But yeah, I generally like that the the system is 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 a bit confusing at first, and also like in the long run, still it's it's quite painful um, because so also like if you if you do a CI build. The build runner so for for me most of the time the build runner was the what took always the longest. Um, so yeah, if if that if they they at some point make a better system, that's that's just awesome. Okay. And it's also like it enables a lot of like in code um, optimizations um, probably that you can do like as a package author uh, that I can do and and other other authors can do because. Um, with that new way of code generation, will they will also introduce like a new way how you can um, add add to existing code, right? So one one thing that's like you have with in in some form or another you have with all those code generation packages, you have to extend a generated class or mix in a generated class. So like for freeze, it's like you have the your class person and then extends. Like underscore dollar sign person or something was it I think. Um, with that maple, it's a shame, but it's like a mix in. You have to say class person mix in person mappable, um, and that's really because just a language limitation right now. Um, to like add functionality to an existing class, you have to add, like have an extension or a mix in because the the code generation tool can't just say Okay, now I want to add functionality to that, to that class without the user pretty much seeing it or doing anything. So right now the user has to add those mixins. Uh, that will also change um, when they introduce this this new static metaprogramming feature. Uh, so like the whole experience also for one for the user and also what you can like do as a package author in your generated code uh, will get a lot more smoother hopefully. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. To dump in this build runner, it's just annoying. <laughs> More than anything else. No, it's great. Definitely like a, a 
a great thing to to look forward to. Um, yeah, let's see when when it will happen. I mean, it's I know it's really it's a hard thing to do. Like I stand why they take so long because doing that kind of stuff in the like integrating it in the compiler and doing it right is like really really difficult. Um, because also like it's a, a lot of I think it has a lot of security questions because when you can like when anyone can kind of modify your code um semi transparently in like um while you compile your code like there is a lot of potential for for also for breaking stuff so um i think that's why they why they really take their time okay um, let me just kind of ask before we start to wrap up since we're kind of approaching i think about the end of our time is is there what's kind of coming up for Dart Mappable? Is there more features kind of coming, or is it just in maintenance mode? It sounds like you're still deciding if you want to change the names of some generated functions. Mm -hmm. I would say it's not really not super decided. So it's definitely not in maintenance mode. Like uh, I want to continue on it. I don't think it's fully finished, but it is at a point where it's like really stable and uh, it supports like all different kinds. Like there are increasingly fewer and fewer cases that that won't work with it um so really like to to have this this um what was the goal to have like this package that supports uh, all different kind of models that that you throw at it um i think that goal is either reached or like super super near i don't think there there um is a lot of like um like low level rework I would have to do like it's just about here and there maybe a few smaller cases maybe a few smaller bugs uh, but nothing really groundbreaking and I mean the, the method renaming that's just uh, that's just syntax right so like at some point uh, I decide and then like I don't decide on my own like that's why I take the time like to discuss with all the different peoples and uh, at some point I decide either for it or against it and and but that's like then okay you have to rename your methods but like the functionality won't really change okay makes sense um yeah i mean is there anything we should know about uh dart mapper before we kind of head off mm, i mean just try it out um it's it's really i think right now a great great alternative to to the other like just serializable even freeze uh if you if you want to exchange it like i've, I've known couple couple people that like migrated to the map from Freeze and it was uh, like it was really I think a good experience um, because you can do it incrementally also for for JSON serializable like you don't have to uh, at one point just do all your models in one go you can just do a couple of models and like increasingly um, maybe add more to it so that's also a nice nice thing to have um, yeah Awesome. Uh, I guess one last thing is if people want to get in contact with you, like what's the best way to get a hold of you? I'm guessing not just make random bugs on the issue tracker, right? Um, so if you just want to have a comment or something, reach me on Twitter. Um, but of course, if you have something really to, to contribute to the package, if it's like a suggestion or bug or whatever, just open an issue on GitHub. Um, I'm usually quite quick to respond. Um, and yeah, so either of those. Awesome. Well, uh, again, it's good to have you back on, and, and uh, I'm happy to you know talk more about your work because you're doing some interesting stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great time, and 
hopefully see you again again. Yeah, well, you'll see me every week, right? <laughs> If you follow the podcast, but yeah. So, so yeah. All right, thanks.